0: I feel old I feel cold
1: Hello, hello, hello. This is Inkstuds on CITR 101.9 FM. I realized, I have no idea when the last time I was actually doing a show live in the station was, and I think I'm due for some kind of acts of contrition or whatever. An award. A what? An award? An award for being a slacker? I don't know. Um, You're listening to Inkstuds on CITR 101.9 FM. I am joined in the studio by some pretty swell guests. First off, I have Frank Santoro, You know! Who is the number one comics radio shock jock on the West Coast. <laughs> and uh, he is in town to do a um, workshop talk at Lucky's Comics tonight at 6 p.m. Lucky's is on Main Street between 24th and 23rd. And if you've listened to the Ink Studs before, you've heard me talk about how much I love this show at, or the. Of course i love this show love the store luckies and i think you all should too and i'm looking forward to frank's talk tonight come on down frank and i have been talking about comics for nonstop for four days and i'm surprised we can still look at each other in the (laughs) eyes and speaking of talking comics for four days straight we're also joined by brandon graham hello you're so subdued brandon uh, it's a it's a a falsehood he's reading mobius i'm
2: flipping through the airtight garage so i'm in i'm I'm
1: zen I'm, i'm in peace right now get closer to the mic there we go. That, you got to talk into the mic, Brandon. Into the mic. Okay. The mic is your friend. And I'm joined quietly in the corner by my good friend, Daniel, <laughs> who's hiding from the microphone. Say hi, Daniel.
3: Hi. I think I'm in the noisiest chair ever, so you might hear me as a chair. You
1: know what's funny is you're a foot away from the mic and you're still louder than Brandon.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: in my crystal place. Don't even talk to me. Uh, Daniel is my collaborator on the InkStuds videos, which you may have seen on the InkStuds website, InkStuds.org. And on the top of the page, there is a thing that says videos. I really feel like I'm doing Hammy Radio. Stop me if I am, guys. Am I doing? Am I sounding Hammy? Oh, you're, you're wonderful. Everybody loves you,
2: Roman.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Frank, you can do it.
1: Why did we just listen to Big Black?
3: Oh, uh it what, was fun- what's the song? The song was Heartbeat, which was a that's a cover, right? It's not a. Yeah, that's a cracker. Yeah, yeah, Uh So um, that was for Dylan, because Dylan loved Steve Albini, so I thought we would play a Dylan favorite. Dylan Williams, the publisher
1: of Spark Club Books, who yeah, sadly passed away. Sadly passed, passed away last
3: year, and being in Portland, and being on the West Coast, I've been thinking about Dylan a lot, so uh, rest in peace, Dylan. Miss you, man. Now, Frank, you've driven up from sunny New Mexico,
1: is it sunny there? It is sunny there, but it's cold. It's cold and sunny.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, you've done a stop
3: in... San Berkeley. Fr- Berkeley. Berkeley, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, and now finally Vancouver.
1: And how much better is Vancouver than the rest of the cities?
3: I got to say, you guys are way ahead up here. Way ahead. You know. Like, uh, incredible comic book shops. Everyone's super nice. We have this stuff right now, though, so it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> hostage. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like, you guys, like, uh, just the the sheer... I don't know. There's so many readers, so many makers, so many people doing stuff that it's just a it's a it's an exciting comics town. It know? is. It's bigger than it's bigger than Seattle and bigger than I think bigger than Seattle and then bigger than Portland. So it feels differently. You know, there's a different feeling to it, but it's amazing. Now, one of the things we're doing today with
1: Frank in the studio is we're making open phone calls um, for folks to call in and ask Frank questions because you don't really do public like this uh
3: yeah, it's, chatting this is, like this. yeah i'm on i'm live yeah
1: and so i'm kind of putting you in the spot and already we have someone calling in and if you want to call in 604-244 oh, really? or 604-822-2487 604-822-2487 and i'm just gonna bring this person on right now live you're on the air talking to frank on ink studs talking to
0: frank hi frank this is liz calling from virginia hi hi um Big fan. I just had a question for you. I'm actually calling from work, so I'm, I'm gonna I won't be able to stay on the line too long. Okay. But um, I was wondering what you think of depictions of rape in comic books. Wow, that's
3: and an sexual interesting assault, question. that kind of thing. I don't. Um, I'm not gonna. I don't feel comfortable answering that question. I guess because I don't. I, I'm not sure what that has to do with my work. If you're a fan of my work.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. you mean just the overall? <laughs> I thought, I thought it was like, just a like general, was the general uh,
1: mainstream comic. Right now, huh. um, I mean, it's a it's a, that's a that's a heavy question because um, um,
2: it is, is kind of all over the map. It is it is all over everyone's discussions right now. there's there's a website, it's like Girl in a Refrigerator or something that just shows like all the depictions of how fucked up a lot of mainstreams showings of, of sexuality and everything are in comics.
3: Wow, I thought it was I mean, going to be like a layout question. question. I definitely think <laughs> that's outside
2: of Frank's scene, but you know, I mean, yeah, I think I, 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 I had, you had a, this, if
3: so. you there's I think there's a. There's a rape scene in in one of uh, uh, an issue of Cold Heat, but I think it's uh, Satan raping Dick Cheney. So, how do you feel about that?
0: <laughs> I'm not really
3: sure how to answer yeah. that. I'm sorry, Liz. You know. Sorry,
0: sorry to clobber you with such a uh, with such a heavy question. That's okay, though.
3: but it's just like <laughs> if I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm taking a poll. I'm asking a lot of people. Oh, okay. To about well, that, you issue, know. I'm trying to figure out my own thoughts on it. Okay. Well, I, I,
3: yeah. well I'm in well, hearing
2: Her. I don't have headphones, so I can actually hear Liz. <laughs> But uh, I'm, I'm
1: interested in kind of her her take on the thing. Um, do you want to... How about... this? I mean, it's a big topic. I think I want to kind of jump into comics. I think the one thing we can say is that comics is a medium like any other, and there's different ways to depict things. And I think there are appropriate ways to depict things when you look at a book like Phoebe Gleckner, and there's inappropriate ways to depict things when you look at something like uh, Green Arrow or Catwoman. <laughs> and I think that like, it's it's a huge topic, and I don't know if that's necessarily, uh, kind of the scope of what we're jumping on today, if that's kind of an answer we can go with.
0: Yeah, sorry, is, <laughs> is this live?
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we're gonna move on, Liz. Yeah. Thank you
1: so
0: much okay, for calling. Okay, sorry, okay, well have a great <laughs> night, guys.
1: Okay. Bye. Um, now, tonight you're doing a talk, uh, you're gonna be talking about, um, some of the patterns you've been looking at in comics, and patterns that have been developing in comics, and... I don't know if you want to get too much into that now because we're going to be doing um, a lot of that tonight. Do yeah, you yeah. want to kind of do a quick drive on that?
3: Sure, sure. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm on tour to uh, promote my correspondence school that I've started. Um, and I'm also on tour to sort of uh, proselytize about comics themselves because I'm just so excited about the form. And I think that it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting time to be making work. And one of the things that I, I see a lot in uh, younger makers' work is sort of a um, you know difference of opinion about how to create timing in comics. And comic comics is a lot about timing, comic sequencing. And I think in manga, in French comics, Band dessinée, and in American mainstream comics, there's a fixed format that lends itself to a particular type of timing in comics. And I think... Uh, that's lost on a lot of the uh makers who use kind of uh varied uh formats and i think there's ways to create timing mechanisms in comics that's my riff
1: that's your riff and so the um part of what you're doing with your workshops is you're kind of looking exploring this but you're also doing a correspondence course and tell me a little bit about how that's been going
3: well, oh, thanks. Uh, the co- well, the correspondence course, you know, in the old days, there was a famous correspondence course called The Land and School, which uh, Milton Kniff uh, took, uh, Roy Crane took this course, a lot of uh, famous uh, strip artists took this course, and if you look at even the way he drew horses or dogs, you can see it in Crane's work, but the idea being that you could learn cartooning sort of uh, in the mail, and I thought that... Uh, in this day and age with Skype and um, uh, the Internet, that it's more possible than ever to teach uh, directly uh, to people who might not be able to be in your classroom. So I've taught at Parsons in New York, and I've done a lot of uh, teaching here and there, but I think cartooning is a really interesting um, craft to try to teach in a way the correspondence method I think is the best because it allows the maker a degree of privacy that maybe a classroom situation does not so now you and Brandon you guys have been
1: hanging out all week talking comics and Brandon's actually not even listening to us. He's oh, sitting there reading, right reading, Mobius' uh, book five of the epic series, uh, The Gardens of Adina. He really is reading, reading it, literally reading this.
3: Mobius, he, it's not a joke. Brandon cares.
1: He's around. Brandon is like the comic book equivalent of like a guy that goes around with a shopping cart, and it's like he opens up his portfolio <laughs> and he brings out the stack of like six, seven Mobius books. Yeah, seven we, Mobius we, we books.
2: We're going we to talk about comics and. and Last night I was like, we got to bring... Yeah. I do this thing when I draw sometimes where I I, uh, I lay out a bunch of things, a bunch of work that I'm really excited about. Like I'll put out some photographs and I'll just like... Um, it just almost to remind myself how good it can get. And so if we're going to talk about comics, I figure i got a stack of Mobius and yeah. Minara that me and Frank were going to go yeah. through. So while we're talking about comics... He's getting excited. Like, it's not like we're thinking about, you know, like, oh, Dobert's funny. It's like, this is fucking Mobius. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, what is it about Mobius and Monero in particular with you two that you are both kind of like zoning in on these two European creators? You think it's just Brandon?
3: No, no, no. I'm to- saying let Brandon answer that one. Um, I mean, I, I, I like the quote that,
2: that Frank was talking about the other day about what was the gold. Somebody asked what the golden age of science fiction was, and Frank said, or the quote was that somebody said it's when you were whatever you looked at when you were twelve. And for me, that's what Mobius and Minara are. It's like what I was looking at when I was a teenager that really expanded my idea of how exciting comics can get. And it's like I can't I can't talk about them reasonably or rationally at this point. It's just like it's it's kind of they're doing the the level of work that I that I aspire to doing to doing, and it's just it's exciting. And I don't know. Well, it's
3: interesting because like with Mobius, especially like you know, th- you know, you can affect cr- culture. With lines on paper, and Mobius is such an incredible example of that. You know, like you know, the movie Tron might affect you in a way when you're younger, or something, or it just affects the way things look, and then you go back and you find that that Mobius had a hand in that, or he had had a hand in Blade Runner, and just had a hand in shaping culture that you absorb. You know, and and it's I, it's not so much about for me like what it was when uh, maybe you were a teenager, although I can totally relate to that. It's also like I think there's a uh, a space in Mobius's work and I don't mean space in the literal sense I mean space like spatial relations in 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 the page and with Brandon's work just to you know because he's here and I want him to hear him say this is like I love the way that Mobius creates space on the page and I don't necessarily see Brandon taking things stylistically so much from Mobius as the way I see him using the space on the page in a way that is so there's so, such incredible depth that I you know I, I find it remarkable and I think that if he's looking at Mobius for that on some level there's some real connection there. Yeah oh, thanks.
2: Um, yeah, I mean there's something I really enjoy about drawing. Sometimes that feeling of when you're when you're working and you know when you're reading a novel and you're just into the story and then your eyes focus and you just realize you're looking at a bunch of words, a bunch of squiggles on a page and it's not actually anything yes, else than that. It's simple, like yeah. something about comics when you're drawing. When you've convinced yourself that what you're reading or what you're drawing has depth in it, and you're way far away, and you're drawing, like, trees that are, like, a mile away, and then you realize you're on a flat plane, it's, like,
1: you know, that's kind of, like, magic for me. Yeah. Word. I'm going to do a quick song break. Uh, what's another track you want to hear in this album here, Frank?
3: Uh, Some more Seville your yeah,
1: Bazooka Joe. What number is that? Nine. Nine. There we go. Bazooka Joe. And this Inks. is Cable, sorry. Eight. Eight. All right, there we go. Okay, we we'll are right back. Ink Studs. CITR, CITR 101.9 FM.
0: Joe is back. When Joe comes back, Joe's head will crack. When Joe's head cracks, when that big head cracks, it's welcome back, Joe. Welcome back, Joe. You don't have to be alone, Joe. You don't have to be alone, Joe. Hang with me, Joe. Hang with me, Joe. Hang with me, Joe. You don't have to be alone, Joe. You, you don't have to be, be alone, alone, Joe. The joint at the back.
1: So CITR 101.9 FM, this is the radio show where we talk about what, guys? Comics. Comics. Uh, we have a ge- uh, caller in before I bring in the caller. Uh, remind folks, I am joined by Frank Santoro and <laughs> Brennan Graham and Daniel Giantimosa. Did I get it right, Daniel? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I love you, Daniel. I'm sorry. Uh, Frank is in town doing a thing at Lucky's tonight at... Six. Six o'clock. Uh, Main Street between twenty third and twenty fourth. Now I'm going to bring on our next radio guest, uh, my good friend Chris Green. Hello, Chris. Hi, Robin. How you doing, buddy? Am
0: I coming through, I coming through for you? Yeah.
1: Ask your question.
0: Okay. Well, I've been thinking a lot lately about just the different vectors of communication that comics has as unique to comics in particular and many things that are kind of underutilized in that sense. And I guess I want to ask you all of you, Brandon, Frank, and everybody, what your kind of thoughts on that are and what kind of places you see as, um, what, what, I guess, areas are ripe for exploitation, I guess, or for utilization. To um, give a bit of an example of what I'm talking about, I guess, Frank, in your work, I was just reading through the story really earlier today. and I noticed this section where you had two panels next to each other that were essentially the same drawing redrawn, except it, this is a train pulling up near the beginning of the book. and yeah, I know it's there's panel, a train panel, yeah. Station. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
3: I do, yeah.
0: There's a really awesome thing you did there, I thought, where you had the first panel it was drawn, and the building that became the background was drawn with nice, you know, thick black lines for the most part. The next panel, that background, was drawn the same way, but the building was drawn with lighter grays and very few black lines, and the train in front of it was drawn very dark and that to me was communicating Some of our attention was focused from this building our attention was focused to this other plane to this train on the on the field there yet the building in the background changed how it was actually visually depicted and that opened up a really interesting thing for me thinking that we can depict things the same thing in different ways on different panels and then communicate through that vector The example i'm talking about that or simple things as far as you know gutter the use of color um, I could go on with examples, but uh, I guess
2: just like the like in film, it would be what's
3: in focus or what's out of focus. Is that what what you're thinking about you doing Yeah, a little bit? I mean, I think that's a great observation. Thank you, Chris. Uh, He's off. Uh, that's his name, right? Yeah. Chris. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Chris. Um, <laughs> it's nice having man yeah, yeah. I um, I think that. Yeah. I. I mean, I, different using different media um, is something I'm definitely interested in, but changing. Uh, one's focus is something i'm interested in how one does that pictorially and narratively and sequential sequentially and um comics affords that opportunity unlike film That then you could see those two panels next to each other um and still have them both on the page and not lose it as like in in a fade or something so um uh you used an interesting word the vortex which i thought was a good uh word and uh, i was talking to brandon earlier about like vortexes of lines that are created on uh, in in pages and in certain shapes and things like that and uh, as that relates to layouts but um brandon you want to jump in on this um
2: i don't know i mean the vortex thing has been interesting because frank has been doing all these systems where he kind of and i'm going to butcher this but he uh uses a series of kind of circles and boxes to kind of he's basically studying how the eye uh, reads a comic book. It's like looking it's like taking away the art and looking at the skeleton of how the reading happens. And I've been thinking about that all weekend so it's been coloring every time we open books <clears> and, <throat> and and talk about them.
3: Well, yeah, and then I don't think it's necessarily the way one person reads something, you know, like the way one's eye might move around the page might be unique to each person. You could you'd have to like uh, um, really, there, that would be something individually you'd have to measure. But you know, I think shapes affects, affects right, kind of where it's the like, where the the design of the page is leading the eye. Yeah, hole. like shapes, like abstract, I mean, abstract shapes, you know, abstract painting. You know, all these things are, I think, relate a lot to uh, comic sequencing. And so, the you know, these spaces that are created on the page through you know two panels next to each other, and like whether they're spatial vortexes or time vortexes those things are moving in time in theory right. and so using that unfolding is something that I'm interested in like what you was know,
2: that? we were looking at um, it was like an image comic drawn by like uh, Tommy Lee Edwards or something the other day and they used the word balloons to to get the reader to read the comic backwards
3: yeah when the, yeah went across the two-page spread and then Back down to the lower left-hand corner. Right, of so it was the, like a
2: backwards letter C or yeah. something.
3: But it seemed like one of those times when I was like a, a crazy script with a lot of dialogue that the artist just tried to do something. Inventive. Right, and I stared at for a long time, being like, "Why? What was they? What were they trying to do? To
2: to like, how did it aid them to lead the eye this way?" And 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 I was like, "Man, what was the secret design behind this? You know, what <laughs> comics book Illuminati?" And then Frank just is <laughs> like, "Man, dude, probably just got
3: a script that was too heavy and couldn't fit it <laughs> the other way." But the, yeah, well, I don't have it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to pose the question, you know. Speaking of questions, so we
1: take another one. Yeah. Do All it. right, I'm bringing Ed Choi Mormon on. Ed from Chicago. Have I still have you there, Ed? Have I completely lost you? I think I completely lost Ed.
3: Uh oh, bummer. Ed's bummer. A good guy.
1: Okay, should I bring this other person? Sure. All right. Hello. We are on Ink Studs Hi, this is Ed Choi. Oh, oh hey, okay. Ed. I thought we lost you. Oh, yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah. So, are, um, are you
2: guys
3: live? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Ask, ask oh, okay, away. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, this question is for both, uh, you, Frank, and you, Brandon. Um, what, uh, could you guys talk a little bit about, um, uh, structure? How you structure both, uh,
2: landscapes, and, or rather, like figure-ground relationships, stuff like that, and, uh, and environments, and also editing. How you edit your pages or stories.
3: You should talk about your layout thing. Um, like oh, the larger, yeah, we'll, the larger layout. I was Ed, um, showing,
1: and I'm just going to pull you off, and I'm sorry that you won't be able to rebuttal because there's a lot of oh, stuff. Oh, no in your line there Thanks. All right, yeah. yeah
3: thanks, thanks for the great question, but um,
1: I was I was showing Frank earlier. I keep
2: spacing on the questions and going off on rants here, but I keep I was showing Frank earlier that uh, Robin got into these gigantic sheets of paper, like giant butcher paper. I've been I've been doing layouts on lately, and I realized that something about when I jump back into a comic page when I'm kind of when I'm kind of rusty is. I feel like they're too tiny, even if I'm working on an 11 by 17 page. And so if I give myself a piece of paper that's bigger than, you know, bigger than myself or whatever, then I can do these layouts just with a Sharpie and they get bigger than me and I can just kind of draw as many different crazy out there ideas as I can and and not feel restrained by the the paper. And that's really been helping a lot with layouts.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, figure ground relationships, how I structure, how I set up things. I mean, um, uh, you know, I always like to tell this story about working with Gary panter um, when he did a mural in the roanoke art museum and um you know we used, the walls were the structure like so the walls are the giant page or canvas that he had to work on, but he had worked everything out as a, as small drawings as you know he was wont to do, and then we 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 enlarged them with the overhead projector and then he traced them with chalk and then he attacked them with a brush, and it was all really great, but it was like the the page itself or the wall itself provided the structure for Gary to figure it out. It was like you know he had these drawings on the page, and they were just kind of random here and there, but it was the size of the page that was then the unit and then when he used he used the measurements of the page to throw it up on the wall, and like i there were these kind of structures that you saw sort of because the things were so enlarged that you could you know it was ten feet between these little drawings that were on his page that there was some kind of like underlying structure there that he heard, you know, by, you know, like heard or seen to saw by eye, by ear without measuring it. But then we literally had to measure it. And when we literally had to measure it, we literally had to use uh math and certain progressions to figure out patterns and stuff what we were right. doing. So to me, then it's just like what you see, you know, like when you make a thumbnail or something small, you know, and then you kind of enlarge it on the copier and then maybe you see th- relationships differently. So like, I think structure is something that's intuitive, but then it can be measured. You know, right. so and, you keep relating stuff, Frank, to um, to music. And uh, we were talking earlier about how there's
2: an interview with Jaime Hernandez where he came up with the idea that that sometimes he doesn't, um, he'll just do panels out of order because he knows there's a beat there. Hmm. And I was thinking, like, um, you know, we we're over at Stokoe, James Stoko's place earlier, and that guy, he, like, he's working on what Orkstein number seven is just done now, hmm. and he's got more pages of issue nine done than issue eight because it's like it's just that. Um, you know, almost relating to music. Like he knows the beats of what will happen and he knows what's going to go forward. Yeah. yeah. And I was talking, sometimes when I do layouts I was saying to Frank, sometimes when I do layouts, I just, just to, to kind of put myself in almost like a haiku thing where this is the easy- I can take a page layout that I think is like well structured and has the beats and basically use the same box structure and just draw different pictures in them <laughs> because it's like, that's there, and it's kind of cool. Like what you can what you can throw at yourself to be like, what What do I do in this situation? And a lot of times, it's just about getting the like overthinking it out of the way, so you can just yeah. just focus on that.
3: Well, what's interesting to me is that the you know the size of the regular standard comic book that you know uh, Stoku's working on is is a really nice proportion. It's, it's close to a double square, it's close to a golden uh, section, and so. That size has been standardized in American comics, and so that beat that he has, that two-page beat, whether he goes in and out of the live area, is still f- fixed. Right. And so he can—it's like a, you know, a really simple four-four beat. Let's say underneath his crazy free jazz horn playing, <laughs> you know. And I think that's remarkable. But it's fixed by the beat. And then when you change that with, like, you, know, you see things on a Tumblr or something, like it's contained by the page size. But then maybe. The one, two of it has changed, and now that, you know, that right side page is underneath the left hand side page, you know, right. you, you, know, so I just think that that's, those are, those are very interesting, you know, we're at such an interesting time in making comics, it's not either or, like everyone's talked about this, either or web comics or, or print comics for years, but it's going to be both, you know, like I see more stuff on people's tumblers than I do really in live as a book oh, yeah. and, but then they can be both you know it's going to be both for a you long time a lot time. of times when I do
2: pages and it, it obviously doesn't happen every time but a lot of times when I do pages I I try to think of like how like Von Boudet or George Harriman would only would be able to do an entire storyline in one page and a lot of times I'll be like I want this page that I'm working on to have to, to work by itself and so if I do 30 of these yeah. in a row it's going to be really dense and hopefully be really fun to read and um like when I did when I started King City, it was like I'd only done you know three issue series before mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. and so even to convince myself to do something of that length, I had to convince myself that just to compartmentalize and be like, this is a series of short stories, mm-hmm. and it's like if you look at the book, there's a million chapters, and Stoker likes to pick on me, and be like, what are you working on today? We're going to chapter title, <laughs> chapter break, <laughs> but it was kind of the only way that my brain could kind of uh, do something that long is to think of it as as those little one things, and it's it's interesting like when stuff ends up on a Tumblr, like if you just get. It's like you can even think, like, what if this panel existed by itself? Then Right,
3: but then what's interesting, too, Just to, then that's something that's happening a lot where, you know, stories are being framed by the way that maybe we read these Golden Age reprints. Like, you know, you read, like, uh, this collection of Captain Easy Sundays and whether or not the narrative is c- connected, you see it's like these one-pagers that are connected narratively, like, um, uh, like Wilson or, you know, um, uh, there's you know, some other recent uh, comics have just been like a series of one pages that are, right. that are collected narratively and then um, I was talking to Dan Nadal about reading uh, The Airtight Garage in Heavy Metal like he got all the Heavy Metals and he read The Airtight Garage as a serial and then read it with In for those of you who don't know Airtight Garage is one of Moby's most famous stories from the from the 70s Brandon's favorite one of Brandon's favorite. actually this isn't one of your favorites but we'll get to that in a second but like he read yeah, it I like it but he I'm read sure. it his copy it, is falling apart. It's falling apart. On the record. But then, when when I re- remember reading this, when this came out, uh, when I was younger, you know, I read it all in one go, and it's very disjointed. And I liked the more graphic novel stuff, like uh, Gardens of Edina, Upon a Star. That was one long story, and so. Right, that's where I'm coming from. But then, but then, so but this Tumblr, like, just to get back to this one pager thing, is like the. Being contained by, let's say, the the restrictions of a magazine size or like the Tumblr uh, or Facebook, TwitPic, whatever you want to do, you know, it's just like the one pager is still this great unit of measure within comics and that changes the nature of the way that the, the, the work is received, you know, and I think that's a, there's something really interesting in that that's happening right now. <laughs>
1: a lot of questions coming in on the old Twitter Uh-oh. feed.
2: Okay, Totally <laughs> off topic. Do you know that one of the one of the main characters in the airtight garage, he, he this male character, he modeled after Patty <laughs> this Smith. the radio. We don't know if <laughs> <who> can see. <laughs> I'm just saying. He, he, it's kind of cool that it's like, there's just a dude in there who he just drew a Patty Smith drawing really? like, from an album cover. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can see this, right?
1: Um, Brian uh, Munn uh, does the sequential.org blog, good coverage of Canadian uh, comics. Uh, he asks, um, which are funner to draw and why? Women, dogs, buildings, or sound effects? Um,
2: man, oh, I, 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 I think just, I know Brandon's answer. How dare you? I was just going off on a rant with Frank the other day about how one of the fantastic things about comics is one day you're like, I'm just really into lettering, and the next day you're like, I just want to draw tits all day. <laughs> and and it's a great joint. Like, it's like, what mood are you in? They keep it classy
3: up here in Vancouver. If you yeah, know. I mean, they're classy tits.
1: Um, uh... <laughs>
3: <laughs> For me, it's dogs, I guess.
1: All right. Any reason?
2: I just know, guys. I it's
3: just, you know, dog, dogs are always funny. I had a
2: theory a while back where I decided that um, if, if to make a picture interesting, if it was kind of because I, I I hate doing too repetitive work, and I realized that that it always just makes something more exciting for me to work on and to see if animals or vehicles or machines are in there, and it kind of takes me out of my because I, I had such you know years and years of just drawing. Characters three quarters to the left, and just drawing like you know, like a girl with a spear or whatever. That as soon as you just draw like a, a Wolverine next to what next to a tractor, it's like oh, this is new and exciting for me.
1: <laughs> Someone uh, actually uh, goes to a conversation we were having the other day. Someone's asking if Brandon was the RZA of comics who would be in his Wu Tang and Frank and I. Hey, I we were know, talking yeah, about Wu Tang and we said thing. no one would be the rizza Yeah, there is no
3: Rizza. There is no Rizza. There's, no There's no RZA. But. uh yeah, well, James is in it.
0: Well, I
2: it's mean. difficult, yeah, because I don't want to be I don't want to be exclusionary because it's there's so many it's like there's so many different directions yeah. of amazing creators. But and the Wu Tang,
3: you can get like seventeen dudes up there, you know yes. I mean? And the Wu
2: Tang is, is huge. So there's like, yeah. isn't there like a white guy in the Wu Tang? <laughs> just like there's like there's I think there's eight thousand members. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, like, yeah, can we have the good people in and like you know dudes that are trying to make money or get their movie deals right. done? They they can go well if
3: if <laughs> let's just say if uh, if if uh, Brandon's um, it's like. The Irons, you know, the, uh, not Risen Jizza. It could be Risen Jizza, but you and James, you know, you guys got something. They're best. more
1: like Method Man and Red Man without the
2: weed.
3: <laughs> huh? We actually
2: were talking about dressing up as the, uh, on the, the Rottweiler album and just showing a big convention as that, with carrying the, um, Carrying the jumper cables, and, and
1: then- just just so you know, uh, Brandon and James will be appearing at Vancouver Fan Expo near the end of April. Oh yes, yeah.
2: I actually I, I like to describe James Stoko as, as my day walker, based off the cheesy movie Blade, because because the vampires are always like all of our strengths and none of our weaknesses. And when I met James, he's like ten years younger than me, and like you know he turns out like five pages a day, and I'm like I think I got two done this week so far. <laughs> so he just he exists to shame me.
1: <laughs> um, one of the things. Uh, Oh, Dan Nadell yeah. would like to know who your
3: favorite dog is. Oh, Mr. Is Fatty Pants. In- oh, uh, come it. on, Dan's got the greatest dog. Is it just is he just trying to get a shout out to his yeah, dog? Yeah. yeah. I, I love so. that dog, man. That's Mr. Fatty Pants. No, is awesome. or There's Snoopy pictures or, uh, of me with Mr. Fatty Pants doing I think I questionable
1: things. Oh, this is this is making the show awkward. I think I'm going to do a music break now. Okay. I yeah. I I'm sorry. F- I'm
3: sorry, Dan. I didn't oh. mean to <laughs> too personal there buddy <laughs> we'll be right back
1: Inksta at CITR 101.9 FM we're back C I T R 1019 fm Uh, thank you everyone for your questions we're going to try and get to as many of them as we can Um, just a reminder I'm talking to Frank Santoro who is appearing at Lucky's tonight at 6pm that's on Main Street between 23rd and 24th I have to sneeze I'm going to try come on down Ian Harker has a question who? Um,
3: Ian Harker who? Oh, I think I
1: know that thing. Yeah, I interviewed him recently about uh, his book, of the Blood, and I actually had to apologize to Ian before the show, before we did the interview, because the first time I met him, I knew him just as a personality on the College Journal uh-huh. message board, and uh-huh. I was like, uh-huh. you are a douche. How would Uh-oh. See, they keep it classy up here. <laughs> yeah. Keep it classy. No, I don't. I don't keep it classy. Ian's question... And I apologize again, Uh Frank Satoro, what's next for alt comics in North America? And keep it short, Frank.
3: Ben Mara. I mean, Jesus, Ben Mara's going to break on through, man. Like everybody who clown Mara for years is finally going to have to eat a piece of humble pie. So that's my thing. You well, know, we're, we're I mean, talking really, the drive
2: here about kind of how. I mean, I was thinking the place where Mara's coming from and the place where, like, you know, like where
3: Rub the Blood is coming from is there's a level complete of sincerity. sincerity. And that's yeah. what's awesome about it. It's like genre, it's sincere genre comics, and everybody can clown it, but that's exactly. It's matching up with, I hate this word, but the friggin' zeitgeist. It's just, that's what's <laughs> happening. I, I'd, I'd feel like sincerity in comics is like. But it's this other kind of <laughs> sincerity. It's just like it's it's a bringing readers to comics that don't aren't necessarily interested in comics because they think comics should be pulpy, weird shit, and then they are for and they they find something like uh, Night Business or something, and it just fills this particular space for them, and like that's great. Let them you know like don't I just think that it's that's amazing that he's reached that level of. Uh, saturation, you know. I mean, and it's just for, for me. It's just like everyone clowned him, but then he just did the work, like body blow, body blow, body blow. You know, he was just like he just came at you, you know, and then he just knocked everybody out. I mean, like that's the reality for me. And you can clown it up and down the, the the you know the court, but then you see something like Johnny Negron too, where like then he gets this thing on Twitter or, or on Tumblr, and he's like super popular, and it's just like that's going to be the next thing. You're going to see like these people that are coming up in the ranks in comics faster than publishers can keep up with them, honestly. Well it already seems like the case, isn't it? Do you think the old guard is scared? Do you think that's part of it? Well the old guard's too wrapped up in in, in 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 golden age reprints and that's good because it funds smaller projects, but then it takes these, you know, smaller publishers like, you know, Secret Acres or Ad House or something that are doing things or Koyama press that are doing things that are, you know they're not you know, like a big company's just they're dealing with that stuff to make money, and the smaller publishers like they can barely string stuff, string the printing budget together. So you have to remember that too. But now there's this immersive thing that's happening with the Tumblrs and Twitter and everything, where you know, uh, it's just people are having whole careers in two years. <laughs> like you know, Ben Maher or Michael DeForge or you know Jesse Moynihan can just kind of come out of nowhere and they also- just have. You know, it,
2: kinda, it, it, it expands the idea because I feel like comic books in the past have been very a two party system of Indian mainstream. And, you know, something for me is I never felt like I fit into either of those things. And now it's like you don't have to because you have so many other venues where people can read the comics. And you can do things where, like, there's entire comic book scenes that, like, I don't pay attention to. But it's awesome that, that they exist and it's not just, you know, A Ball or Batman or for, whatever.
3: No, I totally agree. And the, the Vancouver's a great example of that because it's just like there's so many scenes within the scene that's this embarrassment of riches that it's like. It's really wonderful to see in person. You're know? in a
2: Scrooge McDuck money bank of comics here. There's no way around it. I swim in that shit.
1: Um, okay, our next question is from Joe DC in the UK. Hi Joe. Uh here's my question. Do you guys enjoy drawing covers? I find it a whole different beast to normal pages. Oh yeah. It is a totally different animal. Um I, I
2: well when I when I did King City, I uh I was always was terrified of covers originally and, and just having to do twelve in a row kind of broke me out and I think by the time I got to number seven I was just like oh, I get it, like, I, I don't have to do, a whole book doesn't have to be contained in the cover, I can just fuck around and make the cover something fun and different and it's like, it, I, I, you, I feel like you have to, or for me, I had to kind of just lose my respect or fear for the cover and be like, this is some bullshit I'm going to throw on the front of the important work, and uh, but it does it does put this big thing, like, what a single image represents what you've been doing for the last,
3: you know, two months or six years or whatever. Yeah, I, I purposely try to be side my covers. Like I try to take the, I want the inside to be more exciting than the cover. So I, I think maybe some of my covers are clunkers, but at the same time, like that's I want it to be sort of like that weird drawing that you did that was on your table for a long time that maybe somehow turned into a cover, like or you know it's just something different than the inside. Yeah, it's a cool way to yeah. do. Or
2: just um, yeah, or just
3: I'm mean, finding other ways to do covers. Like I.
2: Just realizing you can do, a cover can be a comic book page. Like, it can be... Um, well,
3: yeah, I deal with I, a lot of that with my students on my correspondence course. Um, TCJ.com. Uh, um, that, you know, the cover can be part of the narrative. And I love a lot of, the, there's a lot of interesting covers that I think is the beginning of the narrative, really. And right. not necessarily, because I, you know, I'm always bummed out when it's like, whatever the cover, cover image is, whether it's by that artist or a different artist, that the interior doesn't reflect that image somehow or the feeling of that image. Right. And with, with Joe D C stuff, I mean he's his stuff is so rooted in um
2: in the story and the narrative. I imagine that a cover seems really outside of his his
1: his way of working on stuff. I know James Stokoe would rather never oh, James do hates a cover covers. again. He would
2: yeah. yeah. I just did a cover for uh the next two I'm drawing one issue of profit a year and most of my writing, but I did the one issue that I'm drawing and writing myself I I did the cover for it, and I, I did it with just this wrecked piece of machinery on it with no with no f- human figures or no, no characters on it. And for me, it was this huge jump where I was like, oh, my God, this feels like I'm doing abstract work, where it was just like, if it was a panel, it would just be, oh, there's a panel with no yeah. person in it.
1: It's nice. It's but, a yeah, great cover. are kind of scary. <laughs> on that note, Frank, you wanted to hype up something that's coming out uh, on Wednesday by another guy in this room. Oh, man. Do
3: you, I don't know if you guys have, I didn't know this, but Brandon showed up to meet us at uh, RX comics here and had with him the collected King City and I can't believe it it's a beautiful book for only 19 99 and like it happened you know I don't know if any of you guys remember but you know there was a little bit of concern maybe the King City would not come out as a collection because of just the situation with Tokyo Pop and Image pulled it together and it's really amazing book and you should really check it out because if you haven't seen all the issues of King City you're missing something special
1: Sexy comics. Well, thank you. <laughs>
3: Congratulations,
2: Brandon. It's good to see it out. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing to actually have the thing, and I, I feel I feel like a, a like a creep how much I'm kind of pawing the thing because it's like it was I I, I just had to resign myself that I was never going to see my stuff collected, and people would be like, "Should I buy all the issues, or should I wait for a collection?" And I was like, "Good luck waiting for a collection." Yeah, but
3: I literally thought it was going to be the like the the THB of the aughts. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it only says he will never for,
2: redraw it. <laughs> Oh no, no, I'm not. I, I, we were talking about this before about how I, I have a, I try to make a detachment to my older work. Where if I see something I did when I was twenty, it's like I might be able to draw, you know, feet better or whatever now. But, but I, but it, I, I'm a kind of a different dude than I was then. So you kind of have to accept. And, I, and there's a lot of artists who I like who they would probably think that their current work is better than some of their older work that really resonates with me in a way that, that their current work might not, or just in a different way.
1: Now, because you're working on an extreme title. Profit. I'm pretty extreme. <laughs> um, do you need to forget how to draw feet? <laughs> God, be nice. How dare you? No, actually, oh, nice. uh, there's a there's a
2: joke that came up where um, uh, Simon kind of not thinking about it, I me mean, not thinking about it. The first thing in the first issue of or issue 21 of our issue of Profit is an alien
1: with five feet. <laughs> that was kind of something. Just put it right in there. Uh, reminder, folks, I'm talking to Brandon Graham and Frank Santoro. And Daniel, I'm not going to pronounce your last name, Daniel, who's saying absolutely nothing. Daniel, I keep handing him Mobius books. (laughs) Um, Frank is appearing at Lucky's tonight at 6 p.m. PM. Come on, Uh, Now, there are some other questions. Uh, Zach Soto asks,
3: should we all draw bigger or smaller? Mm, Good question, because, you know... uh, uh, Zach and I had this conversation when I was in Portland, and you know there 's a again a lot of with this reformatting stuff that 's happening um, I think it 's interesting to think about scaling because you 're probably going to have to be dealing with scaling uh period in your work, and drawing smaller is that better or drawing bigger is that better um, and again, like I was surprised when I went over to brandon 's studio that he you know some of his initial layouts are done on like 18 by 24 paper, and he's really just trying to, like, get the get the spacing. And then he might redraw that thing, and he, and he goes back down. So, um, I've just noticed the trend that Jaime Hernandez, for example, is, is drawing smaller originals. Uh, his brother Gilbert is drawing smaller originals. Uh, Christopher Forges of course, you know, uh, uses 8.5 by 11 paper. Uh, John Porculino, for example, uses 5.5 by 8.5. So, you know, everybody has their thing, but I think um, drawing smaller might uh, benefit uh, a, someone who might has always drawn like you know uh, ten by fifteen originals or eleven by seventeen, and drawing smaller like you know you make smaller marks and y- you know you don't think about that so much but the marks change and uh one of my big riffs uh while i'm doing this uh, these presentations is how you know jaime's jaime hernandez's panels are really not much bigger than three by five inches right. and so you know this whole world exists in this frame that is you know three by five inches essentially and so the way one is making marks in that small space you know, can really determine a lot, and so if you're drawing smaller, you might have more of a mastery over that area than you do when you're always drawing uh, larger.
2: I've got my friend uh, Moritat who works on that uh, Jonah Hex comic now, and his thing is he takes an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper and folds it in half and draws two pages on it. And part of it for him is just speed because he's doing a monthly comic and bangs it out in a week like that. For me, I just I, I like that I like you know arcing your arm and making big lines and yeah and yeah. You know, there's a joy. My girlfriend actually. uh, Rain Churchling, uh, she works. She works almost flat. I Your mean, wife? Wife, yeah. That that lady that I uh, kiss on the mouth. She uh, she works on these gigantic, you know, Paul Pope sized pages, and uh, and draws almost flat on the board. And so it's almost like it's it seems it's more painting. like finer, yeah, like yeah. painting.
3: Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. And then and then um, you know, uh, but then there's something in the scaling that I think is 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 uh, is really worth worth investigating for 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 all for all artists but especially cartoonists because we deal so much in reduction and in and, and enlargement and uh some other thing i was just thinking of though about somebody working to scale that i found uh really interesting oh did you see those that have you seen those reprint books that are just like the like the wall oh, wood the, book and yeah, the, yeah, the, the john ramita book that just came out like there there's a lot of books that are coming out Uh, Now that our artist edition, yeah, the same size Uh, IDW put one out, and then but then you know, there's a rumor that Paul Pope might do the THB collection, like you know, oversized like that, like the size of his pages and stuff. So you could see, you know, the mark you make is the mark you see, and it's not reduced. And but then some people, you know, object to have you seen the you know, the Justin Ground, Justin Green. Green edition of Bink Brown, and then also the Jerry Moriarty edition of Jack Survives, you know, you see the whiteout, and you see the uh, stuff, and there's some, you know, uh, you could, it could see the argument for both sides, where you want to see it, The, you know, you, didn't you tell me that Jerry Moriarty, like, destroys the old editions, or he just doesn't like the, he, he you know, the hold way them? On, on to them. them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's a special man. He's
1: just, they're, com- they're coming back home. Right. And I think that's really fascinating, because, like, I, I love looking at his stuff in the new edition because you see the stories he tells within that particular page that is under these layers that you lose in the photostat production that they used to do um, back in the 80s with the raw editions. Mm -hmm. So it really like shows... It shows how technology had really limited a lot of what folks can do artistically. is and there sure, some sure.
2: of the like reprinting get, getting kind of fetishistic too, though? Where it's like, like a lot of the authors originally, like when you're drawing Spider-Man, you don't intend people to ever see your whiteout. You well, that's one, but that's <laughs> the but like
1: someone like but Justin Green or Jerry Moriarty, I would say there is when they're producing this art they're, they, they are such consummate artists they have a particular thing they're doing with their work as a piece within right. themselves well, it's, it, yeah, it's 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 inter- I mean
3: it's interesting both sides but it's again just for the you know for the fans I think it's great to be able to have that option
2: yeah um, I mean I certainly like seeing I think a friend of was telling me he saw the Mobius art show in, in France they did recently and Mobius was doing that thing where he was just drawing on like all different size pages depending on you know what the mood was sure I was telling you my old roommate Corey Lewis when he was doing Knife, he would just it drove me crazy because I showed up with this idea, like, pages love by 17, you have your your, um, your library and all this stuff. And he would just, like, go crazy and do different stuff on different size paper and do some pages in his sketchbook and some gigantic.
3: Right. and Well, there's, just quickly, like, you know, uh, Dash Shaw's working on this uh, project right now where he drew the original super, super large, and then now he's uh, redrawing... Uh, probably hundreds of pages, but uh, (laughs) I don't know how long the story is, but I know that that I that I know that it's like now he's sizing it down and he says that he's seeing the relationships differently at the at the smaller size. So I think, you know, something there's something to that. And Dash has gotta be all over the map, right? Like he does different size stuff and he's amazing, dude. I mean he's it's like the stuff that he's capable of of drawing now is, is beyond my grasp. Gentlemen.
1: Thank you both for coming. Daniel, thank you as well. Even though you're very quiet, thank you, um, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Come on down to Lucky's tonight, six p.m. Six p.m. And Frank will be signing. Frank will have his box of crazy comics. Be doing my song and dance. Come on down. It'll be good times. Oh okay, yeah, you got some short boxes of nice '80s comics. Yeah, yeah. We were going through them the other night. Good stuff. And up next at four o'clock, we have Mantra by Richard and uh, Butter on Bread. Show at five. Are you aware? At 6 and 7.30, stereoscopic, redosed. Um, thank you for having me today, gentlemen. It's been a Thanks, swell week. Thanks, You're the best. And uh, thank you, everyone, for asking questions and taking a listen. And, uh, yeah, CITR 101.0. That was great.